Hi, Janina. Hi, Emma. How are you? Welcome to History of Sexy. Welcome also to you, to History of Sexy. I'm alright, how are you? Oh, I'm ticking along, doing my thing. Feels like ages since we recorded an episode, because we recorded one really early. Um, and then we forgot to keep doing them early. Like, Well, we were like, we're going to be really ahead of ourselves, and we're going to make sure that we record, like in advance so that we've got space for things to go wrong and stuff and then life gets in the way um, yeah. so. and something did go wrong so it did sound <laughs> <laughs> um, went all wobbly yeah that was my fault it's alright you apologised already I did uh, you did I a did formal a whole, apology I, I left my living room and came to my study and set up all my shit deliberately yeah. for that apology yeah so I may have made the whole sound horrible but i feel like i paid for it <laughs> <laughs> I thank you like... to everyone who listened through oliver did amazing work to make me sound not awful he did um, he really really this is why we have oliver around to make us sound good he's very good and yeah and uh, we also we... i feel like we have to do like a formal apology for tim as well to say that yes we now know well we knew anyway that it's not the whole freaking French Revolution that Lemis is about. It is the June, whatever it is. The June uh, Rebellion. Thank yeah. you. So we did, we did, I think, mention the Bastille, which is not accurate because that's, that's oh, the well, original yeah. flavour revolution of from... It's because I asked if the storming of the Bastille was in it, yeah. And I said it wasn't, not. which is true. Well, you were right, yeah. I was right. Um, but yes, I still think that like <laughs> France was basically in constant and constant ebbing and flowing of revolution for basically a hundred years. So what ifs? You know? So what ifs? There you go. I That's apologize our... to any French people who disagree with me. <laughs> That's our but, apologies you know, and corrections for the week. There are so many revolutions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'll do. That's apologies and corrections. Apologies done. You know what? We're not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey now. <laughs> I feel like I want to adopt the punch up the jam tagline of don't fact check us, but I don't think that works as well on a history podcast. It works less well, yeah. We are supposed to be talking about facts a little bit. A little bit. Like, don't come at me with your, like, can't say my interpretation is completely wrong, but maybe there are some things yeah. that we might sometimes be a bit wrong about sometimes. Yeah, dates and names all the most facts. boring things they're also boring and the whole rest of history is interpretation <laughs> and conjecture and that's the interesting part and that's what we yeah. care about so you yeah know, i'll tell you my least favorite thing is there's a particular kind of person i say person i generally mean man um who when they find out that you're a historian will come at you and be like oh yeah so what date did this happen and you're like oh. i don't know sometime in the 320s ad and they're like 323 on a thursday like all right like come fuck down doesn't matter it doesn't matter <laughs> but they and there's a certain kind of person that really likes a date Dates only matter when you are trying to look at causes, like something happening to happen on a particular date, which sends into into action a whole sequence of events that leads to X. Then maybe, but not always, but maybe <laughs> I'll care about the date. But yeah, I'm not promising anything. I'm not making any promises. I care. I, I will broadly keep track of decades. Anything that is like. That's pretty, pretty impressive for an ancient historian. I would have thought yeah. you'd be all about centuries. It's pretty fucking granular as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing on this here right. podcast that we're On recording? this here podcast, we ask people, people ask questions about history and we tell them why it's sexy because history is sexy. It's so sexy. And this week we're answering a question. So last week you answered a question that was pretty much just for you. And this week we've got a question that's pretty much just for me. It's excellent. I've done no work. I'm just going to sit back and let you tell me a story. I'm yep. very excited. Um, and it's a, it's a good series of stories um, with some good bits. The question this week comes from David C. Shipley, who I forced to reword this as a question about three times until we got to this one. <laughs> uh, and he very kindly <laughs> and patiently did so. And his question is, what links an actress, an emperor and a goose? See, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and say I think he already knows the answer to this question. I suspect he does. <laughs> because his original question was the answer. But <laughs> this was a very good way of phrasing the question that I like. So 
I'm going to kind of save the official complete answer to that to the end. Okay. And we're going to, like, do some contextual stuff uh, and build to the answer to that question, or at least the detailed answer to that question. Because the the simple answer to the question, what links an actress, an emperor, and a goose, is a man called Procopius of Caesarea. That's a um, terrible name. Procopius? Procopius. What does that mean? Like like a lot of prose. I I don't even know what it means, just as his name. <laughs> like it's just what his father saw his beautiful son be born into this world, that his loved and hoped for son. Yeah. I guess and it's not his fault that we ended up having the word copious. It's not, um, although we rarely put the word pro in front of anything that is a name. Um, yeah. But for some reason, his mother and father looked down on their tiny child with his ten wiggling fingers and ten wiggling toes and said, we shall name him Procopius. We should make a note of this. I do have a friend who's looking for baby boy names at the moment, so... So, Procopius of It also Caesar- it just sounds like a lot like precocious. It does a bit. It's a he was quite name. precocious, I suspect. I, I'm, like, I'm very sorry, Procopius. It's not your fault, but you've got a stupid name. I mean, I'd not feel too bad for him. Okay, um, tell, me, tell me why not. Tell me why I'm okay to hate him and his name and everything he stands for. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he is from Caesarea, which is in the Greek East... It is in what is now Israel, which would have been very solidly part of what we now consider to be the Byzantine Empire, because what we are talking about is the early Byzantine Empire. Okay. The period that we are going to be talking about today is the mid-6th century, so from about 5 to 5 to about 560. Okay. So mid Solidly mid-century, 6th century, beginning of the Byzantine Empire. It is 50 years after the west of the Roman Empire has officially gone forever, fallen. Mm-hmm. Like, in 476, the final empire, emperor of the east, of the west, sorry, oh my god, I'm so tired. Um, the final <laughs> emperor of the west, Romulus Augustulus, mm-hmm. who is effectively a child, was... But uh, not the Romulus who was raised by wolves and found to No, he was like... Significantly after that. Significantly after that, <laughs> a good thousand years. He's just the only Romulus I know, so, you know, I've yeah. got to make sure that I'm not off track. Well, poor Romulus Augustulus was obviously given the name Romulus Augustulus mm-hmm. in an attempt to make him seem like to give him like the most roman names that anybody could give him like you can't be going around deposing a romulus augustulus he (laughs) like what's more roman than romulus augustulus yeah never mind that people can just make up names and say whatever they want yeah unfortunately he was quite young and a bit useless and uh the gothic king odoaca came along and kind of took his crown off and took his fancy cloak off and put them in a box and sent them to Constantinople. I said, look, we've just not got we've just not got an emperor over here, right? I'm just gonna be the king of Italy. <laughs> and poor old Romulus true. Augustulus didn't even bother to kill him. Just he sort of just wandered off. <laughs> he was like just a wee teenager, so he was given like a little pension and he just pooted off to live a life. Like, no, that's not the sort of behaviour I've been led to expect from romans towards goths no well this is goths towards romans so no but like romulus augustulus just yeah packed it in instead of baking the goths sons into pies yes which true. is the sort of behavior i've been <laughs> that's the behavior you've been <laughs> okay you've been hanging out with greeks that's your problem <laughs> romans yes. I've been playing a lot of Assassin's Creed. Romans wouldn't be doing that kind of thing in private. They do it in public. They do it in the set fire to people inside, in you know, in public for the entertainment of everybody. Sure. Why waste such a good spectacle on just one person? Yeah, no, that's fair. Anyway, so that's poor of Romulus Gushes. That's four seven six, and I'm getting mild anxiety talking about this because I was in the pub with our friends Phoebe and Holt on a Saturday night, and I was talking about this. 
and I got um, overexcited while talking about Romulus Augustulus and knocked an entire glass of wine all over my poor partner. So he had to come home. (laughs) (laughs) Such is my life. Well, that just, you know, that's just a good sign. We've got an exciting time. I was very effusively describing the end of Romulus Augustulus. (laughs) Anyway, we're 50 years out from that. Mm Mm-hmm. When we begin, and we begin with the reign of our first main character, his name is Justinian the First. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of Justinian? Um, no, I don't think so because I think I've heard of a Justinia. Okay, who maybe is a saint. Is there a saint Justinia or something? Well, technically, in the Eastern Church, Justinian is a saint, but no, there sure might be a, a Justinian. I'm sure there's a woman called Justinia or something like that. Probably that I've heard of, um, but I don't know because I didn't do any research for this episode. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> Justinian is the second in the what's considered called the Justinian dynasty of the Byzantine Empire, and he is considered to be the great emperor of the sixth century, like the great Byzantine emperor. So. He is considered to be the man who never slept. Like, he is one of those men, like... You know, like they always say about Margaret Thatcher, that she only slept for, like, three hours a day. And then all the rest of the time she was, I don't know, crushing people and being a bigger... Crushing people and basically being... Like, you know, great leaders, in inverted commas, tend to be people who don't sleep very much. And Justinian is the emperor who never sleeps. So he starts off life... He's from Serbia... He is born in Serbia, which is obviously part of the Eastern Roman Empire. And he is adopted by his uncle, who's called Justin. Mm-hmm. I now, love Just- it when ancient people have normal modern names. Like, <laughs> I mean, obviously Justin and Justinian are related names, but Justin is just so normal. It's like you can never quite take Jason and the Argonauts seriously. <laughs> just, ja- just, Jace, just good old Jace and his Argos. I, I always imagine, like... The kid I went to school with called Jason. Yeah. Like, everyone went to school with someone called Jason who was a bit unusual. And it's very hypocritical of me, because obviously we've talked about the Tiffany problem and maybe yeah. they're old and that's okay, but it always is funny that Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Good Greek name. Yeah. I feel like Jason's in fiction always run to a particular mould as well. It feels it seems like a very American jock thing to me somehow. Really, Jason? Yeah, I think so. Maybe there was just a crucial Jason in a sitcom I watched when I was a kid. But I always think of it as, I don't know, maybe because I went to school with quite a lot of Jasons for some reason. Anyway, I've gotten us off track. Yeah. What about anyway, Justin? So Justin and Justinian all start kind of peasant swineherd lives like they are peasant people basically justin is justinian's mother's brother and he ran off to constantinople as a teenager with nothing more than the clothes on his back and a sack of bread great um with nothing to do there, he basically joined the Palace Guard, which had been very newly created because they were still creating the whole Byzantine infrastructure, uh, which meant that anybody could join. It wasn't like a big thing at the time. Mm-hmm. So he joined the Imperial Guard, who were called, very pleasingly, the Excubitors. <laughs> That's not real. It is. Do you want to know what it means? Yes, obviously. Those out of bed, because they stay so, up all night. That's so inspiring. We can all be exculpatory. <laughs> I'm in exculpatory right now. Yep, there you go. See, I all of us are. I would love to be in bed right now. <laughs> <laughs> so they, basically, they were kind of created and just enjoined, and then turned out to be very good at being in the Imperial Guard. So he kind of rose up very quickly through the ranks and then made great mates with the guy who had eventually become emperor and got given lots of, you know, lots of promotions. And then he got promoted to the senatorial rank and then he got to be the commander during the reign of Anastasius I, Mm -hmm. who then dropped dead. And, I mean, I say dropped dead. He died politely and... Um, <laughs> of natural please, causes. Can you please explain to me what a polite death is? Of natural causes without a mess. Okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> he wasn't like brutally murdered in public, which sure. is quite good for an emperor. 
Mm-hmm. But he, so he had a brother and he had, he didn't have any children, but he had a brother and he had all kinds of other people around him who could have taken the throne. But somehow, due, I say somehow, Justin was the head of the Imperial Guard, which is the closest people with a shitload of weapons, uh, mm-hmm. and also had quite a lot of money. So he bribed the shit out of everybody until they said that he was emperor. I mean, you've got to admire the balls on that guy. Yeah. And then he assassinated everybody. Great, of course. So everybody classic. else who either he hadn't been able to bribe or he hadn't been able to, like, who might have been a problem, he just assassinated him. And that is how sure. Justin managed to go from being basically a nobody, a swineherd in the middle of nobody, to being the emperor of Byzantium, which is very good. It's very, very good. Yeah, and then he didn't have any children, so he adopted his nephew, Justinian, mm-hmm. who then became his co-ruler because he was quite old by the time he became emperor justin mm-hmm. so uh, he became his co-emperor and then kind of was a regent for a while and then he became emperor and he was pretty cool about it and he was one of those dudes who never fucking stops like sure he's just always moving around and getting stuff done and he has a very He's very ambitious with the stuff he wants to get done. And the main thing that he wants to do is he wants to reconquer the West, or at least Italy. Sure. And he wants to just sort a lot of shit out. Sure. That, I mean, that seems reasonable. Yeah. And Justinian is... Well, okay. We're going to have some dissenting opinions on this uh, in a little bit. But Justinian is pretty great. Because he does all this stuff that, like, nobody else ever does. Like, he... I love Justinian and I will love him forever because he did this thing. <laughs> like, this is such a basic reason. Because he did this thing called the Corpus Juris Civilis, which is a complete reorganisation of the entirety of Roman law from the beginning. So. Wow. Yeah, so we're in the bang in the middle of the 6th century and he goes, look, Roman law has been just a load of senatorial decrees and like things written on the back of a bit of, of a, you know, of a poem and like half remembered things that someone said a thousand years ago and then imperial decrees and most of which were not really done with like precise legal language but were said things like well as they did in the old days we shall do this um basically everything was very complicated and then on top of all of the actual laws that you had written down such as they were there was also a like a bazillion legal scholars who had spent forever trying to interpret what they thought these laws were so when hadrian said as was done with the ancestors we shall do da 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 and then legal scholars had had lots and lots of arguments in writing about precisely what he meant when he said the people in the house sure so like he would say things like if somebody is murdered then if a master is murdered by a slave then every slave who resides under the same roof will be has to be killed and then they would have really long arguments about what resides under the same roof means sure and all of that was very confusing because it meant that when judges were actually trying to like enact it then they'd be like well which which one do i use which one do i use which one is the right one i don't know so he was like right look find everything you can and i mean literally everything that you can from the second century onwards mm-hmm. pair it down pick out the important bits and let's like work this shit out basically like let's sure. have an official corpus of what the actual law is going to be I love that. I love a leader who who comes in and is like, right, I'm just going to be really fucking efficient and yeah. sort out all of these basic administrative problems and yeah. solve the empire, basically. And like, nobody had ever done that. And then, so he wrote it all down, and that is basically where we know everything we know about Roman law from, because it then became the basis of all Roman law, because then everybody used it, and then everybody copied it out, and then everybody sent it to each other, and that was the basis of uh, civil law forever in the West. So we love sure. Justinian for that, if nothing else. That's, I mean, it's just, apart from anything else, that's, that's very, very impressive. It is really impressive. And that's just one of the many things he did. He also did a shitload of war. So mm-hmm. he, like, reconquered North Africa and kicked out the Vandals, which was very impressive, because they'd been there for ages by this point. Mm-hmm. He stormed back into bits of Italy. He built Ravenna. Like, Ravenna was kind of a bit of a backwater because he didn't get all the way into Italy. He just got, like, bits of it. Sure. But 
Ravenna's at the top and he made it into this incredibly beautiful city that you can go to and built loads of really good churches there, which are beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I highly recommend a visit. He punched around all over the place. He fought the Sassanids, which is like the Persians, which is pretty good. Yeah. Which is in Georgia and um, what is now Georgia. So that's, you know, he's all over the place, kicking butt. Mm-hmm making people and insisting that he's Roman, which is very pleasing. (laughs) Like, all of them at this time are still insisting that they're Roman, even though none of them speak Latin or are in Rome or are near Rome or own Mm -hmm. Rome or none of them have even been to Rome or seen Rome. or But they're insisting that they're Roman, and that's the important thing. So it's kind of like people like Americans who insist that they're Irish even though no one in the family has been to Ireland for like 300 years yeah yeah very similar like I'm Irish (laughs) or like or even worse it's like ones who are like oh actually I think you'll find that I'm like 132 part Native American oh yeah those buttholes like Elizabeth Warren how disappointing yeah, that kind of thing. So they're very much like that. So just insisting and then living like living life and insisting that it's a Roman way of life. So so he's doing all that. And then he's also doing loads of stuff with the church because there's quite a lot of like banging on about, they're still banging on about what exactly the nature of Jesus is, which is very important at this sure. period. Yeah. He builds the Hagia Sophia, which is real good. Don't know if you've been to Turkey and seen the Hagia Sophia, but it's his A+. I've not been to Turkey. I really want to go to Turkey because apparently they're very nice to New Zealanders. Are they? <laughs> yeah, we don't have to pay any visa fees for Turkey. I think most countries do. Oh, um, and nice. apparently also if you meet if someone in Turkey and they find out you're from New Zealand, they just take you home and feed you. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, because of the Anzacs uh, being, being so good during the war times, which is nice. Well, that's lovely. Yeah, every, every Kiwi I know who's been there has been like, Everyone will love you in Turkey. Well, that's good. And also you get to see the um, Hagia Sophia because it's yeah. Great. And he built loads of stuff. And in fact, there is an entire book by aforementioned Procopius called mm-hmm. The Buildings in which Procopius writes all about the buildings that Justinian built because there's so many of them, which is all about how great Justinian is and how great Justinian's wife is because Justinian's wife you might have heard of. She is called Theodora. I have heard of Theodora, yes. Theodora is a bit more famous. And she... I love that. That doesn't happen often. Well, she's not really famous for good reasons. <laughs> well, that, yeah, sure. <laughs> and she is famous because she is, well, Procopius says that she was a, a prostitute, a sex worker, who mm-hmm. seduced Justinian and then became empress and then kind of ruled alongside him Mm -hmm. as his partner which upset everybody and was apparently very wanton and had a loud laugh (laughs) how very dare she yes so she was born she is another woman who was much like justinian born very poor very kind of low class her father was a bear trainer amazing for the green faction um, her mother was an actress, which is kind of considered to be in the Roman world a kind of sex work. Yeah, sure. So this is a fun thing that you need to know. We well, don't need to know, but it's a fun thing that I'm going to tell you about <laughs> Constantinople in the kind of fifth and sixth centuries, which is that what had been sports teams in the Roman world had become massive kind of gangs. <laughs> sure in the Byzantine world, but gang isn't really the right way to describe it. They were kind of almost like little, like communities, basically, whereby they controlled an awful lot of stuff. They had their own churches. They had their own, um, like, political influence. They had, um, like, their own communities where they would, like, people would be born into the green faction or the blue faction and they would work for the faction and they would be a part of it. Um, and, the, like, it would be, it was like a, a, like, almost like a massive, like, gang is probably the best way, like, but, like, mm-hmm. in the way that, like, the mafia is Sure, a gang. like crime families. Like a crime family. Sort of. Yeah, except sure. sports. Because what... <laughs> Because what they officially were um, was the 
chariot racing teams. So the greens, blues, reds and whites, Mm -hmm. which then became like massive entertainment complexes. So the, like there would be, it would be the racing teams, but then also all other forms of entertainment that you can imagine. So acting, bear training, gladiatorial fights, everything you wanted. And they would all be... Spin off your chariot racing into an entertainment empire conglomerate sort of thing. Yeah. And so they're all this big kind of, and it's really, 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 really important in Constantinople during this period, like which faction you lean towards. Sure. And each of the factions, there's only really the blue and the green that have kind of subsumed the other two. Mm-hmm. But they also have they have different types of Christianity that they practice. Sure. So there's all this kind of... And they have, like, different reputations for different stuff. So Justinian is really hardcore into the Greens. He is a, uh-huh. a fan of the Greens. I just like how, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, Theodora was born a Green. Mm-hmm. But when her father died, her mother had two daughters and she, for some reason, took herself off to the Blue Faction and kind of supplicated herself and asked to join and so they joined the blue faction where theodora became an actress Mm -hmm. and possibly a sex worker in a bottle possibly maybe then she kind of went she this is this one of those things that you can never really know because all the men who were writing at the time wanted to malign her Well, there's only one man. (laughs) No, that's not true. There's two men, one of whom loves her so much that he's basically like, oh, maybe she flirted with a bit of acting, but then after that she became a wool worker and never showed an ankle. (laughs) Uh And the other one is like, oh... And this is not an exaggeration. This is literally what he says. She would go out and shag 10 men in a night. And then when they got tired, she still wasn't tired. So she'd shag all of their servants. So she'd shag them another 30 men. And then she'd still not be tired. And then she'd pull her skirt up over her head and show everybody her fanny just to show everybody how horny she was. Now, that seems unlikely. Do you want some more? Yes. So this is another another line uh, that's also very good. And though she made use of all three of her openings, she used to take nature to task, complaining that it had not pierced her breast with larger holes so that it might be possible for her <laughs> to contrive another method of copulation. <laughs> oh, men. Things they imagine. <laughs> yeah. So that's Theodora. So she then, like, uh, she kind of went off as the concubine of some, like, mid-level administrator, and then mm-hmm. he abandoned her, and then... But through that, she met the wife of the General Belisarius of mm-hmm. the Robert Graves novel fame, and then... This is a very Ava Perone rise to the top. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. So she became friends with his wife, and then through that, she met Justinian, and they fell in love, and very conveniently... Justin had changed the law so that people could marry across class boundaries because previously, like, the ranks in Roman and Byzantine society were very rigid. Like, Mm -hmm. people wore different clothes, people wore different jewellery that you're allowed to wear. There were a lot of stuff that you couldn't do. People would sit in different places in the arena. Like, there was very, they were very rigid. I want you to know... That what I'm picturing when you describe all that is the Meow Meow Beans episode of Community. Okay, yeah, uh, fair. Yeah. Yeah. Where if you're a one, you can only wear like beige. Yes, very similar. Yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> like that, yes. <laughs> yeah, so it's very rigid. So you wouldn't be able to get married. So obviously Justinian is the related to the emperor and theodora isn't but thankfully justin changed the law so they could get married so that was nice of him that was nice and then they became emperor and empress and were having a great time and were you to look at it from the outside you'd say well they seem to have done very well and if you were to read two of procopius's three works you'd think that they had done many great things because procopius was justinian's official historian sure so he was employed to go off and he wrote two books. One is called The Wars and one is called The Buildings because he was very good at titles. 
Yeah, I mean, that's pretty clear. I imagine they yeah. do what they say on the tin. They do exactly what they say on the tin. Great. Uh, and the wars is basically Procopius following around Belisarius and describing all the things he does and describing how brilliant they are. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very boring. <laughs> Because describing wars is, as I'm sure you're aware, very, very boring. It's very boring. Yeah, so there's a lot of, like, then he goes over to the Persian War, and that goes on for two books, and he did this, and then he went there. And then over here he went and did the Vandals War, and he did this, and he did that, and da 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 And then they did the Gothic War, and he did this, and he did that, and there's some sieges, and da 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 Very tedious. <laughs> but very nice about Belisarius... And very nice about Justin, Justinian, obviously. And then they liked what he'd done there so well that they got him to do a thing called the buildings, which is a full-on panegyric of how great Justinian and Theodora are and how brilliant all their buildings are. Mm -hmm. It's less boring because it's... Buildings are more interesting than walls? Slightly. Also, there's some lies in it, which is quite fun. That is fun. And he's, like, the most Christian of all Christian emperors and the kindest and most wonderful man. And Theodora is the most beautiful and the most generous and everybody is so amazing in every complete way. And everything that happened in the entire empire during this year, during this reign of, like, 40 years, all of it was Justinian magically doing it pretty much by hand. He's there digging things all by himself. So there's quite a lot of that, which is all good fun. So Procopius wrote all of that. And mm-hmm. then, in the meantime, while he was doing that, he wrote a thing which he called the Anecdota, which means, like, the unpublished thing, mm-hmm. which we know as the secret history. Ooh, a different yeah. secret history than, than the one I've read. It's a different secret history, but it's got some things in common with it. <laughs> <laughs> in that... Are they murders? In there, it's got loads of murders. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun to read, and it's very dramatic. Excellent. So, where in the wars, Justinian is the great overseeing emperor who patronises the brilliant and wonderful general who can do no wrong, Belisarius. Mm-hmm. And here in the buildings, he is the greatest Christian king of all time, who is pious and wonderful in every way and generous and kind. And Theodora is beautiful and generous and kind. In the secret history, he decides to tell everybody his real feelings. Great. I love this. Just and break loose. Let it out. The reason that this is so extremely fun is that there is fucking no shades of grey in any of Procopius's works. There is either pure good or pure bad. And when I say pure bad, I mean really, really pure bad because Theodora and Justinian in The Secret History are literal demons. (laughs) There is a chapter. It is, I believe, chapter 12. I'm just going to check that which is titled Proving That Justinian and Theodora Were Actually Demons in Human Form. Sure, that doesn't... I mean, that cuts right to the chase. It doesn't bury the lead at all. <laughs> there is no... There is no cut into the chase at all. Uh, it, there is... Like, he does not beat around the bush in any way, shape or form. Chapter 18 is titled How Justinian Killed a Trillion People. <laughs> Great. Yep. Do you want to know what his what the evidence is that he's a, a literal demon? Yes, obviously. Obviously. So there's quite a lot. He's got quite a lot of, on Justinian, to be honest. So Justinian, he says that he once heard that Justinian's mum said that she didn't have sex with Justinian's dad, but that what happened was when she was... Uh, just before she conceived, a demon visited her invisibly and had ghost sex with her. Um, and that was how Justinian was conceived. Sure. Is she sure she didn't have just, a, like, a really good dream? I mean, it does say, as if in a dream, to be fair. It says, a demon visited her, he was invisible, but he affected her with the certain impression that he was there with her as a man having intercourse with a woman. <laughs> and then he disappeared as in a dream. Sure, yeah. Yeah. And then 
He has lots of people who are unnamed, disappointingly. So one who says, but he's very clear that all of their souls were pure. Of course they are. We can trust them implicitly. If he wouldn't lie to us. No one would lie to us about this kind of thing. This is very serious stuff. So some people saw instead of the emperor, a phantom spirit unfamiliar to them. Mm-hmm. One guy swears that he saw Justinian used to like didn't like sitting down very much. He would stand up and walk around when he was talking. Sure. So he said that he would watch Justinian rise from the imperial throne and walking around, and then his head disappeared, but the rest of his body kept wandering around, and then all of a sudden the head reappeared. So he did say he described it very clearly that he did see Goody Justinian with the devil. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then another person said that he saw he was sitting beside Justinian and he saw him and all of his features off of his face had disappeared so he didn't have eyes or eyebrows and then after a while the features came back sure and then another guy who was a monk and he was very close to God came to see the uh, emperor and he was brought into the throne room and as he was brought in, he refused to go in because he said that he did not see the emperor, he saw the lord of the demons. (laughs) How did he recognise the lord of the demons? Did he know him from before? Were they tight? Having read a lot of late antique hagiographies of monks i strongly suspect that the lord of demons came to him in the guise of a woman frequently while he was living in a cave so yeah so probably he recognized him (laughs) (laughs) they were always being visited by the lord of the demons in the guise of a woman i mean that's you know obviously that's all women are actually the lord of the demons in disguise if you think about it Especially if they're walking up to men in caves who are just trying to live a chaste life and not touch themselves or have any pleasure ever. (laughs) Yeah. So there's that. And then also there's this brilliant piece of logic that you can't argue with at all, which is how could this man fail to be a demon given that he never had enough food or drink or sleep and loved fucking and also walked around at night a lot? Mm. (laughs) Well, that I can't argue with. You know, know, you've got to sleep. At some point. But what if he both simultaneously didn't have enough sleep and was always walking around at night? And fucking, apparently. And fucking. A lot of fucking. Yeah, it's very suspicious. Doesn't look great for your boy. It doesn't. It doesn't. It looks very bad. Yeah. (laughs) And then there's also uh, the excellent evidence that he killed a load of people, obviously. Sure. A trillion people. Not just a load. A trillion. When that chapter starts and that he was no human being but as has been suggested some manner of demon in human form one might infer by making an estimate of magnitude of people he killed and the implication there is that somebody other than Procopius suggested that he was a demon when the only person currently suggesting that he's a demon is Procopius Uh, but I like that he implies other people are joining in yeah that's nice if you don't have friends just say that you do and no one like a couple thousand years later no one will be able to prove you wrong yeah so his evidence for Theodora is less good it's mostly that she likes fucking and has a loud laugh I mean that's yeah damning yeah as I said earlier how very dear she and basically she might have been too good at fucking because his main evidence is that when she was on the stage, some sort of demon descended upon them at night and drove them from the room in which they were sleeping with her. Sure. So I mean, maybe she was really bad at fucking... Oh, unclear. <laughs> she was really something. She was really something and it was demonic. Sure. Yeah. So he also accuses... So when he's talking about how he killed a trillion people, he describes the whole earth running blood with nearly all of the Romans and barbarians in the world. Okay. He claims that the whole of Syria has no people left in it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And also that Greece hasn't got any people left either. This is kind of encouraging, you know. We've been so worried (laughs) over the last few years about fake news. It's taking up a lot of our mental energy and it's very emotionally draining constantly. But maybe just, you know... This isn't new. Yeah, no, it's not new. But this is like what he... So the thing that I really like imagining about this is that like... So he's writing all of this stuff, which is like the 
buildings and the history of the wars are like the texts for knowing about 6th century Byzantium like they are and they always were they always have been they were huge at the time they were you the official historians about it but um you did yeah. just tell me a well, whole see- lot of bullshit this is a fun thing you see is one you have to imagine procopius writing all of those like glorifying things while secretly furiously wanking out this stuff about how everybody's actually a demon <laughs> it's very good and i desperately want a movie about him <laughs> like and that's just the beginning really i would like, like that to be um what's his face amand um Amand what well, i don't know how to say his name armando Iannucci. Yes, Ianucci. That's how you say it. I would like him to make a movie, please, <laughs> about this. Can we get him on the get him on the line? I'll get him on the blower. I'd like to order one film, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he um. So he's like writing. On the one hand, like during the day, he's been like, oh, the emperor's such the best Christian king. He's so amazing. He's so brilliant. And then furiously at night, like by candlelight, he's writing, he was insincere, crafty, hypocritical, dissembling with his anger, double dealing, clever, a perfect artist, and acting out every opinion which he pretended to hold. He was even able to produce (laughs) tears. He made terrible (laughs) oaths in dealing with his own subjects. He was a fickle friend, a truceless enemy, an ardent devotee of assassination and robbery, quarrelsome, and an inveterate innovator easily led astray into wrong. Uh, and it goes on and on and on. <laughs> and Man. bearing in mind that he wrote an entire book about how great all of Justinian's buildings were, it's very, very funny that in the middle of secret history, he goes, he never got his fill of seizing property and murdering men and plundered the homes of numerous affluent men. He kept seeking new ones straight away, pouring out the proceeds of his earlier robberies by making presents to sundry barbarians and in erecting pointless buildings. (laughs) I feel like maybe he'd hit on him and got turned down. (laughs) He's so mad about whatever happened between the two of them. It is very much like the long-form version of sending some girl a dick pic and then <laughs> calling her a frigid cunt because she doesn't like it. <laughs> yeah, like, don't send me a dick pic, and then she's like, well, you're ugly anyway. Yeah, exactly. No one will ever want to fuck you. <laughs> that's exactly what this feels like. Yeah. So that's his feelings about just in and so the way that people have dealt with this in the past is very fun because obviously historians have really struggled with the fact that they really really want to use and really need to use the history um and the buildings like as evidence but at the same time you kind of have (laughs) straight up evidence that everything in it is at the very least actively filtered through a very specific lens (laughs) and cannot be trusted because we know that Procopius didn't actually think any of these things. Yeah. He was actually furious a lot of the time, (laughs) which has led a lot of, like, some people have been like, oh, maybe he just didn't write the secret history. Maybe it's just like a lie. Like, no, because he says several times in my previous book, The History of the (laughs) World. And some people have just been like, like a lot of 19th century and even back to like, like Gibbon was like, well, now we can't trust anything that Procopius says. And it makes him real mad that you can't trust anything about Procopius. But this is, the, this is the thing about that, though, because surely we can't trust a lot of what any ancient historian or even any historical historian said, because they were all at the mercy of whoever was in power at the time. Like, this is why Shakespeare's Richard III... I mean, obviously, Shakespeare's not a historian, but Richard III paints him so heavily as a villain is because he was trying to discredit him as a ruler to please... I I don't know if that was during Elizabeth Elizabeth or James's reign, but, like... It's James, I think, isn't it? Yeah, and that's why, like, he... Tim will correct us All of those plays about how great the Henrys were, you know, because (laughs) that's the royal family that was in power when he was writing. So it's, like, and I think that it's when when you live now, when at least in people's ideals, the idea of free speech and free, like, a, a free press is really 
crucial and we it's seen as something that's important for democracy to look back at all press and all history as if it was done to the same standards but a lot of the time people are just trying to stay alive yeah a lot of the time they're just doing their shit like doing what they need to do and you couldn't go around writing this kind of thing you know yeah openly no but and the point of all history in the imperial period is to please whoever is in charge like you don't write anything unless yeah they let you basically so the other approach has been for people to kind of try to discredit the secret history as being sadly miscolored is one quote um that <laughs> a 1920s person wrote who just said in fact that the secret history proved that Procopius could not appreciate the true value of his own age, which I think is quite sweet. <laughs> like, no, 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 my darling, you don't understand. The things that you lived through, they were not what you remember. Yeah, please, please let me tell you. Please let me, were. the 1920s historian from Oxford, tell you what you really <laughs> think about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which is, but there's like this real, like they really want to use it because obviously they want to be able to say like, and then the left flank came in to the left and da, 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 and describe a battle in great detail. Mm-hmm. And if they know for a fact that he, he's lying about some things, then they have to feel slightly uncomfortable about uh, taking everything as a description of pure fact. Yeah. Not that that stops them, because that's all we've got. So you have to, as (laughs) as an ancient historian, you always have to compromise horribly. But as an ancient historian who's primarily interested not in necessarily what happened, but in how it was written about, I love Procopius, because he just shows how much of the presentation of history in the imperial world and under an emperor was presentation for a purpose and not, like, the dispassionate description of history that they pretend it is. Although... You will find still certain people, name of no names, H.B. Dewing, who want the <laughs> the history of the wars to be a dispassionate history. Um, sure. Like, yeah, okay, cute. Right. So all of that brings us to what links an actress, an emperor, and a goose. And are you ready? Mm-hmm. I'm so, so not ready, but hit me. In all of that, in it is poor Theodora who is accused of being a demon but really gets like hammered hard as a massive slag essentially not just a massive slag but like the most massive and most slaggy of all the massive slags like just beyond anything to the fact that she wanted like holes in her boobs so she could be fucked in them and Mm -hmm. there's a really bizarre bit where he says she treated her own body with such wantonness that she seemed to have privates, not where nature had placed them in other women, but in her face. What? So she had what in her face? <laughs> privates. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know what it means either. Did he just object to fellatio? I mean, they all objected to fellatio. They all found it disgusting. I bet um, they didn't. <laughs> I mean, they, I'm sure they didn't. When she was doing it. Um, there is a note on it in the version I've got, and it says, the meaning of this obscure reference is lost. <laughs> sure it is. Um, but yeah, it is. But that, that's, you know, he basically thinks that everybody who ever touched her was completely degraded by her, that she was utterly disgusting in every way. He has all of this stuff about her, like, taking off all her clothes. As, like, if anyone's not looking... Then she'll just take off all her clothes. I mean, um, I, you know, I do that when people are not looking too. Sure. <laughs> just, it's much better than doing when they just, are looking. <laughs> For just me. Just your fanny. You know. Yeah. And there's a bit where he says that she's always showing people both her back, her naked bottom and the front bits, which men should never see. He's frankly shocked. And... In amongst all of this, he describes her acting career and he describes the the performance that she would put on mm-hmm. when she was when she was acting and her she had a particular a particular show that she would do where she would appear on the stage and she would take all her clothes off and she would only leave her girdle on because 
you had to have a girdle on. Uh, so she would have her kind of fanny a bit covered up. But then she would lie down on her back on the ground and some slaves would take off her girdle and they would sprinkle grains of barley on her fanny. Mm-hmm. And then some geese would be brought out and would be placed between her legs and then they would peck off the barley one by one. (laughs) Wow. And then she wouldn't even blush. Sure. (laughs) Wow. That's... I just feel like he's spent some time having some fantasies <laughs> and he needed an outlet, you know? You know what, you know, I'm 100% sure he never met a goose. I don't think he did and I don't think that he ever met a woman. I think he just saw them from a distance. Um, had no idea what was going on with them. Just, you know. So, yeah, so that is the story that Prokofius came up with about things that Theodora, the empress who would do for the her sexual satisfaction and the entertainment of others. Yeah, I don't believe him. Um, <laughs> and I... I think... don't believe that any woman... And, like, there's some people with unusual desires in this world. And Yes, we're not going to kink shame anyone who uh, likes to involve grains... And I'm a 100% sure that their consent of the geese would not be foremost in the minds of Byzantine emperors. But I don't think that anyone would willingly, having fucking met a goose, let a goose near their fanny. No! No! And barley up there seems like a fucking yeast infection waiting to happen. I mean, it really is. Geese up there is a fucking FGM, effectively. (laughs) Like, you're not coming back with much. No. It's not going to be pretty. No. It's going to be... It's going to be painful. It's going to be bloody. It's not... It's not going to feel good. And those those geese aren't going to enjoy it either. No. And I don't think any audience would. I don't think that would be enjoyable to watch. No. No. And... So this is what you can imagine Procopius sitting at home furiously writing. Furiously <laughs> <laughs> like, writing with his right hand while he rubs one out with the left. Yeah, quite possibly. This chapter alone is uh, two and a half thousand words just of uh, describing ways in which Theodora fucked people. See, this part reminds me of what's his name in... Um, Purely, because I haven't read the book, I'll admit that freely here and now, in um, Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, who mm-hmm. gets all all obsessed and up, uh, about Esmeralda dancing. Yes, very similar. Yeah. The priest, yes. That um, who gets all hit up. Yeah. And then he goes up and does his alchemy and huffs. Yeah. I can't, I don't know if he does alchemy And in all the of party. his sexual frustration comes out as, like, just being a, a big dick who kills people for living you know yeah whatever. Yeah, yeah basically that whole hellfire da, da, yeah. da, that bit yeah in okay. and all less men. musical in the in the book to be honest but yeah uh. <laughs> i mean i assumed <laughs> yeah yeah so there you go and um or you also procopius also says that loads of plagues happened because justinian was a demon in the end like that's in the middle like that's in the fucking middle of the book and then it really goes downhill from there because you get that and then you get the demons thing and then you get the trillion people thing and then there's loads of stuff about how like he was horrible to posh people and you're just like right (laughs) should have saved the good stuff for the end right man this was a bitter man yeah and then the end so there you go that is what links an emperor an actress and a goose. Great. That yeah. was I I was not expecting that. No. No. Nobody ever could. Nobody could ever predict it. <laughs> and I really hope that nobody is listening to this episode while like drifting off to sleep or 
Yeah, I can imagine it being one of those things where you just like all of a sudden like, what am I listening to? Or just very like, like wide awake. (laughs) Oh, I was drifting. I was drifting. Oh, that's some images. Oh no, I don't like it. I'm Uh, never sleeping again now. Yeah, I will be like Justinian. Yeah, I will just walk without my head all night. (laughs) Wow. Well, thank you for that. I really. it took me places it? I was not expecting. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> um, I'm glad that I could introduce you to Procopius, an angry man who I was. I feel like resented having to be the official, the official historian for a guy he apparently despised. Yeah. Yep. Well, we've all been in jobs we've hated, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, who hasn't like you know, written an angry blog about it. I mean, nowadays we just do group texts, you know. That's true, actually. To, to air it it's all true. out. This is like the group text got leaked. Yes. Like screenshotted and put on Twitter. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I was talking to people when I was in Spain about this. I have this kind of vague horror. Like, it's obviously an unfounded and baseless horror. But whenever like another set of like Sylvia Plath's letters gets published or like, you know, some poet or just anybody who was ever anybody, like all of their letters get published unedited or whatever. I'm just Mm -hmm. like, even those collections, like letters of note, I just have this horror that one day somebody will like publish all of my group texts or something. (laughs) (laughs) Just be like being a fucking bitch about me. (laughs) Like, just be like, oh, she primarily couldn't type. Uh-huh. And uh, just talk nonsense a lot of the time. And yeah. was, like, strangely vitriolic about stuff that didn't matter. Yeah. Used GIFs way too much because she couldn't think of anything to say. Yeah, loads of GIFs. And, like, concerned that one day people might analyse them. But it would just be like, <laughs> well, it was the one that was at the top. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I got tired of scrolling, so I just picked yeah, one. Yeah, but yeah, I do have this, like, I, and I just I just feel it every time that I see these massive collections of, of letters. I'm like, can you imagine somebody, like, trawling through all of your communications yeah. being like... What is that about? Why, why, why have we just accepted the idea that when you die, you lose all right to privacy? I don't know. Burn yeah. everything. Burn everything down. I've just suddenly remembered that I still haven't burnt all my teenage diaries and one day I'm going to have to do that. I could never manage to keep a diary. I didn't have the discipline for that sort of carry-on. Janine, I have so many. (laughs) 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 And they're all from, like, obviously the ages of 14 to about 22, so the time when every human is the fucking worst. And I was 100% the fucking worst, so they should all... They should all go in a fire. I'm going to go and find a bonfire on the 12th of July and offer them to somebody. That's fair. Anyway, that's the end of that. Uh, (laughs) What are we talking about next time? Next time we have got... We've got got our first ever, like, analogue question, (gasps) which is... that was possible? Come to me via my mum, and it is Chris that my mum works with. Hello, Chrissy. Who is lovely, and she has she so she told my mom at work, and then my mom texted it to me. Uh, <laughs> she said, "In <laughs> medieval times, how come there was so much ale available? What was it made of? How come it was so available? And how is it made and transported?" So we're going to be talking Ooh. about the history of beer. That is interesting. I have it I have is. some thoughts already. If anybody else has a question, then they can tweet it at us at at sexy history pod. Or you can email us at sexyhistorypod at gmail.com. Or you can go to our Facebook, which is Facebook uh, slash sexy without the E, history pod. Or you can ask us a question while also buying us a coffee on our coffee page at bit.ly slash support sexy history. Yes. We would really appreciate that. And thank you to everyone who has flicked us some... It- coins it really helps it touches our little hearts more than it touches anything. our hearts so much and it i really have does. had to drink so much coffee recently because i'm working full-time and keep trying to keep up with my million deadlines so it, yeah. yeah i need and that it, it's coffee. nice to have that coffee 
really good. <laughs> what else? I'm at, at Nuclear Teeth, but I'm not really... I've got a stupid deadline. I've got, oh, actually, it's official now, so I can tell people what my book's about. So I've got a book to write. Uh, <laughs> I'm so excited about this book. Uh, which is about Roman murder, and it's been in a trade paper now so i'm allowed to tell people so i've got to finish that which means i'm not allowed to be on twitter yeah that's fair i'm also on twitter at jane i nandif sometimes sometimes and oliver is on twitter apart from the times when he will be cutting out all of the gaps in this (laughs) recording uh, which might take a while but when he's finished doing that he's on twitter at at So say hello to him because without him we'd have to edit it (laughs) and it would be not as good. (laughs) That's very true. Um, I think that's it. Is that it? I think that's it. All right. Bye, Janina. Bye. (sighs) Oh, you've gone again. Okay, delete all of those bits. Sorry, Oliver. (laughs) Delete that. Oh, I've lost you. Oh, no. Oh.